So we have two readings this morning. The first reading in Job, Job chapter 9, verses 1 to 11. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun, and it is not, and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion the Palladates in the chambers of the south, and does great things beyond, beyond searching out, and marvellous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Our second reading is in Mark chapter 6. from verse 45 to the end of the chapter. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they, they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened and when they had crossed over they came to the land of Geshenet and moored to the shore and when they got out of the boat the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick on their beds to wherever they heard he was and wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. So far the reading. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. 
Our Heavenly Father, as we again look at your word and listen to the work of Jesus, we pray that you would help us to see his work among us and to appreciate what he is calling us to, to faith and dependence in him. Lord, we pray that your spirit would help us to see and embrace and trust your Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we, we look at uh, the unfolding of Mark, uh, this episode carries on from where we left off last week with the feeding of the 5,000 on, on the other side of the sea. Uh, but there is a, a certain abruptness to what is going on. They had The disciples and Jesus, remember, had gone away to rest, and, and that never came to fruition. It never happened. It never fully developed. They were always busy. And then Jesus sends his disciples into the storm to strain for hours against the headwind. It's suggested as as we unfold the time frame here, it's not specifically stated by Mark, but in the other gospel accounts that, that they left at evening when darkness was settling in and they're struggling through the fourth watch. And the fourth watch is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. Now, a trip that should have been much shorter was taking all night, and they were straining at the oars, and they couldn't get to their destination. Jesus had sent them into the headwinds. And Mark astoundingly connects these stories, but in a very difficult way, a way that that is a bit unsettling. It's the troubling response of the disciples that is presented to us in verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves. They had witnessed it. They had been instruments in the distribution of the food. They had gathered up the leftovers, but they didn't quite understand it. And then Mark says, but their hearts were hardened. These are the disciples. So often we're rooting for the disciples. Yes, go disciples. But here God's word tells us their hearts were hardened. Hard hearts. And that's what we're considering this morning, that that Jesus saves hard hearts. And we need to be careful here because hard-heartedness can be associated with a a stubborn rebellion, a disobedience to God, and it is that. But it's more than that. Hard-heartedness can also be found among those who are obedient and struggling in that obedience to push through to their destination. The disciples had gotten into the boat. They've done exactly what Jesus commanded them to do, and they've struggled. They haven't arrived at their destination, but they don't recognize Jesus. They're terrified by his appearing as he's walking on the water, and who wouldn't be? But Mark ties this together. They didn't understand their loaves, the feeding of the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. Hardened in the midst of obedience. We need to think about that. We need to wrestle with God's Word this morning. We need to consider what God's Word is teaching, how Jesus saves hard-hearted people. As we unfold and and recognize God's Word and, and listen to God's Word, there's things that Jesus is doing. Jesus, first of all, sends away and He prays. Secondly, Jesus passes by and reveals. And thirdly, Jesus calms and calls. Our text is not about the disciples, it's about Jesus. 
He sends away and prays. He passes by and reveals. He calms and calls. First of all, he sends away. Jesus dismisses the disciples and the crowds. And again, these are not random events that are recorded. They are put there as part of God's eternal plan that remind us of how God designs all things, that that God has a plan and He sends His disciples into the storm. And, And it's not a storm that threatens their life. It's a storm that hampers their arriving at their destination. It just hinders their work. It hinders their activity. It holds them back. They're not scared because their lives are threatened. That was the the previous time when Jesus was asleep in the boat. Not this time. And God has a design and a plan. And so Jesus sends his disciples into the storm, probably early in the evening, and he remains behind. He doesn't go with them purposefully, according to God's plan. Why is that? John tells us in his recounting of this a miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that, that the crowds started to whisper. The crowds were thinking as they saw what was unfolding as out of five loaves and two fish, Jesus magnificently fed. This is like Moses in the wilderness, isn't it? Feeding with the miracle of manna and the whispers were going through the crowd. Could this be the prophet? Oh, and the connections that, that God's people were making at this time. Here is someone who in the wilderness, that sounds just like Moses, doesn't it? Could this be the prophet? Could this be the one Moses? And should this be the one who's, who's going to set us free? Who's going to liberate us once for all from that Roman oppression? John tells us in his gospel account of the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus perceives that they are about to make him king. And he sends them away. He sends the crowds away, along with his disciples. It's possible that that he didn't want the disciples interacting with the crowds and telling them what he had done. And so he sent the disciples away first, got them into the boat, and sent them across to the other side. And then he dismisses the crowd. But when he sends them away, he, he doesn't abandon them. He doesn't leave them to fend for themselves. He goes up into the mountain and he prays. He goes on his own and he communes with his Father in prayer. And it shows us again the character of Jesus and the character of prayer. Prayer is necessary because God has everything planned out. How often we use God's plan from all eternity as an excuse not to pray. We say, well, it's all going to happen anyways because God is in control and so we don't need to pray. But even Jesus didn't live this way. As Jesus sends the disciples away according to God's eternal plan, as Jesus sends the crowd away according to God's eternal plan, he doesn't just sit back and take it easy. He goes up into the mountains and he prays. God's plan and purpose and design in all things isn't an excuse not to pray because in God's plan, and it's magnificent how God uses human instruments and He uses earthly instruments and He uses His Son and He uses His people to accomplish His purpose. And His plan also includes our prayers. But as we pray, He acts. Jesus was well aware of that. And Jesus staying and praying teaches us the urgent need that we have for prayer. That we would recognize and bow and submit 
to a God who has all authority, who is in complete control, and who is gracious and kind. And Jesus is this pattern. He is God and man. And he goes to commune with his Father in prayer. But he does so also as our Savior, as our Messiah. That his messianic work, imagine Jesus, here it is. This is a temptation like the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. All the people are just hanging out for this king to come. How popular and, and promising was his career at this time. And he had to go away to go to the Father and to say again, Father, not my will, not the people's will, but your will be done. Let the salvation which this people needs be accomplished your way, not their way. And the way Mark writes this, when evening came, the boat was out at sea and he was alone on the land. He was there praying. And verse 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. The way it is, as he went up into the hills, he could have a vision over, or he could have within his line of sight over all the Sea of Galilee, everything that was going on. And he saw his disciples there. And he prays for them. And his prayer would have included them. And being God who knows all things and he knows what's in man, it would have included the hardness of their hearts. Lord, let this be a time in their struggle. And their commitment to see again your majesty. He is interceding on their behalf. Just like he does for you and me. That's, that's what our assurance of pardon has been. My little children, I'm writing these things to you. John would have been in the boat with these disciples, straining against the headwinds. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have a God who intercedes on our behalf. We have a God who, who knows our weakness. We have a sympathetic high priest who's, who's aware of our struggles and he, he wants to provide for us. He wants to heal our hard hearts. And how often... How often isn't it when hard times come? We can feel so isolated, so alone, so abandoned, left to our own devices, left to our own desperation. Like Job, alienated and estranged. But God's word reminds us that God knows and Jesus, Jesus, our great high priest, cares and he prays. He is the embodiment of, of what Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 43. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. What does that mean? When you pass through the waters... I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, 
you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Jesus is the embodiment of that. As he stays behind and sends away the crowds and sends away the disciples, and particularly the disciples, to go under the Sea of Galilee and to struggle all night and not make any headway. You see, people of God, we're not meant to overcome the struggles of life on our own. God doesn't help those who help themselves. That is not a verse in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. It's an errant teaching that is found in the Christian church. He helps those who can't help themselves. Are you struck by that, office bearers? People of God, as you, you look to the office bearers, don't look at those who, who have it all sorted out and can figure these things out on their own. Did you hear that? Office bears are set apart by God to fulfill their spiritual calling in the church. They cannot do it faithfully in their own strength. That has never been God's design. You cannot do it faithfully in your own strength. Jesus is the embodiment of what it calls to be an office bearer. You can't do it. But don't give up. Don't give in. Strain, yes. Struggle, of course. You see, when, when, when we recognize Jesus as the embodiment, it, it's not, oh, I know Jesus, and so I'm not going to have to go through the waters. I'm not going to have to pass through the fire. I'm not going to be touched by the flame. No, you will be. The point of Jesus praying doesn't mean that these hardships and these difficulties are simply taken away and, and you're safely to the other side. No, it means you have to look to Him. Strain, yes. Struggle, of course. Obey, most definitely. But wait, wait, wait. What are you going through at this time? What struggle is overwhelming your heart and your soul? Consider Jesus and trust. Trust what God's Word teaches. He intercedes on your behalf. You're not alone. He can and He will uphold you. He'll meet you in the darkness. And that secondly, He passes by and reveals Himself. There are several, several clues in our text which are subtly placed there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about what Mark means when he tells us that Jesus passes by. We often think of it as a, a location identification. It's not that. It's a spiritual identification. What does this pass by mean? This same phrase is used in the Old Testament in some of those amazing instances it's the amazing instance after uh, the, the sin of the golden calf when Moses is up with God and Moses says, I want to see your glory. And remember what happens there? God places Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes by. 
Or when Elijah is frustrated in his service of the Lord and he hears that Queen Jezebel has now enacted a death warrant against him and he flees, he runs away, he abandons his charge and he gives up because he can't go on any longer. And he goes into the mountain. And God passes by. Not in the mighty wind, nor the astounding fire, but in the sound of a low whisper. He hears God. It's what Job questions. We really don't understand God's ways. He's the one who's ordered and arranged this universe. He has created everything. He controls everything. Everything is there. He passes by and I don't see Him. And that's His concern. And that's when Jesus reveals Himself to the disciples. And he comes to them. He's about to pass by. He's about to reveal his glory. He's about to show them the wonder of who he is because he comes walking on the sea. He comes as only God could come to his people walking on the sea. No human can do this. And they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out. There's one more clue about what Mark is getting at. When Jesus speaks, he, he speaks like God did to Moses from the burning bush. And, and remember what he says to Moses? He says, I am has sent you. That's what Jesus says. Take heart, it is I. Now that's the English translation. Literally, it's I am. I myself am. It's that word that Jesus used. It's the same words that Jesus used when when in the Garden of Gethsemane they they came to investigate and He says, the one you seek, it is I. I am. And they fall back. It's the revelation of who Jesus is. God incarnate. Jesus is walking on the water because He is God. He is God who comes to reveal Himself to hard-hearted disciples who are struggling in obedience to Him. And not making any progress. And he says, take heart. Be encouraged. Don't be afraid. I am. He comes to hard-hearted disciples. He comes to you and me. He dismissed the crowds because he is greater than Moses and their expectations of him were far too small. They just wanted freedom from the Roman Empire. Jesus secured a greater freedom, a freedom from sin and the tyranny of the devil and the judgment of God. And His work is is going to surpass Moses in the most magnificent way. Greater than liberty from Egypt is the spiritual liberation secured by His death and resurrection. His presence and His work is, is more majestic Can you imagine that? His presence, His work on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension into heaven, His outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a revelation that is greater than what He gave to Moses in the cleft of the rock. Listen to what God says to Moses and consider how Jesus embodies everything that is being revealed to Moses. The Lord, Yahweh, I am. The Lord, 
a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He uses the whole Old Testament vocabulary about sin. It says He takes it away all, but who will by no means clear the guilty. What a glorious revelation as He passes by. The struggle you are facing. The inability to reach your destination of obedience. To overcome temptation. You don't need to go it alone. Elders, particularly Matt and Gerald, as you're being installed, there are going to be pastoral situations that you face that are horribly broken. The lives of God's people display the sins of us all. You're going to wonder, what, what can you do? How can you help? Like Moses after the golden calf, or like Job overwhelmed with his situation. You don't need to go it alone. The help and the hope that you have to offer is not in your wisdom, not in your insights, but it is in awareness of the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. What enabled Moses to go on with a stubborn and disobedient and rebellious people for 40 generations into the wilderness? Imagine his heartbreak, his frustration as they went up to, to the promised land the first time and they said, oh no, the giants are too big. They've come so close and yet they doubt. And then they're going to try and accomplish it in their own strength and Moses says, no, no, don't go up and they were horribly slaughtered. I think God equipped Moses by giving him that revelation, I am God. I am the Lord God, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding. My grace is sufficient for all my people's needs. Show that to them. Make that known to them. We have the privilege as, as office bearers in the church to bear Christ's name and to bring people to Christ and to bring Christ to those people who are struggling, like the disciples, struggling even in the midst of their obedience. Often our counsel to them is pray harder, read your Bible more, and be more gracious. And that's not wrong counsel, but it isn't sufficient. You see, often it's in the times of obedience. The disciples were perfectly obedient. And they couldn't achieve it. And they couldn't get there. And the word that Jesus speaks, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. No matter how overwhelming your situation, I won't leave you, I won't abandon you. And that thirdly, Jesus calms and he calls. Call of Jesus coming to you, do not be afraid. Fear not. 
What a glorious provision of grace that God gives us into the presence of His Son. Know His name, Emmanuel. It is in His revelation. And turning to Him and seeing Him as God with us, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, not simply the second person of the Trinity, but the Godhead, the purpose of the Father, the divine orchestration of the Father, the providence of the Father, the control of the Father, the goodness of the Father, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. See the love the Father has for you. But He doesn't allow you to perish in your sin. But He gives you a Son. While you're still an enemy, He shows His love. The love of Jesus that He will lay down His life for His sheep. The love of the Holy Spirit that He will take Christ and plant Him deep within our souls. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. And He goes on to bring the disciples along. And He goes on and he takes the disciples to the other sea. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to shore. And remember, this is the place where he had left the demon-possessed man, left him purposely, left him intentionally. He said, no, your purpose does not include coming with me. It means you have to stay here. And so many people came to him and were healed, were made well. Because he is God who has come to save. And this morning particularly, to save hard-hearted souls. Any of us who just don't see and don't understand God's work. God's ways. Who are struggling hours on end Days, weeks, years, decades. Does God really care? Does He know what I'm going through? The disciples followed. They did what He said, but trust Him with their lives? I bet they grizzled. I know I would. Why did He send us out into the night to toil so hard and so long? We're not making progress. I've had enough of following Him. It's too hard. It doesn't make sense. I can't see any progress. Where is Jesus anyways? I thought He came here for us. I thought He was here to make it easy for us. I thought, surely there would be a way of escape from the deep waters, from the raging fire. And all the while, He knows and He prays. And He comes and He reveals and He calms and He calls. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. A word of grace. A word of the Gospel. What does this mean for your life? God's Word tells us that Jesus doesn't expect you to make it through your life 
on your own. By your own power, with your own obedience, or with your own strength, or with your own understanding. That was the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000. You go and feed them, Jesus said to his disciples. And I think, <laughs> it's impossible. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people, plus women and children. We don't have what it takes. But the same holds true in the storm of the night. When you're alone, it's a lesson of the storm for hard-hearted people. Where often our first inclination is just let me try a little harder. I need to do more. I need to do better. I haven't done enough. I'm so guilty. And that is all absolutely true, but that is not the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe our prayer should be, like Job, pass by. But let me see you. Let me trust you. The lesson of the grace and the gospel is for you, it's for me. It's this Jesus, this God-man who saves completely to the uttermost and sends us into the storms to strain us so that we will see and know our complete dependence on God. His presence, His power, His provision. Jesus calls us to do the impossible. Not to frustrate us. Not to threaten us. Not to hurt us. But to open and to soften our hearts to realize, apart from you, without you, without you interceding on my behalf, without you coming and calling, without you passing by and revealing, apart from you, I can do nothing. That's not an indication of failure. That's a declaration of faith. Faith. Not a hard-heartedness, but a faithful dependence. That's the Savior we need. Amen.